Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my new bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U. T-U-R-N. Now let's get in to this week's episode. Hello, U-Turn friends. Uh, If you've been following or listening, you probably know that my very best friend in the whole world is Nicole Napavar. She's also a therapist with all sorts of training and a life coach helping clients all over the world. And today we wanted to talk about partnership. A lot of you have sent me messages about my love life. And if I'm being completely candid, I think I've hid from them because I'm like in this thought of, well, if my love life was perfect, wouldn't I be married with 2.5 kids and a picket fence? Happy as hell. So, which I am a happy little clam, but I feel like there's a lot I haven't shared about dating and what I've learned. And Nick has really good content and mindset. She shares with her private clients and her group clients about partnership and choosing. And when should you stay? When should you go? How do you break up? What does it look like to love someone? So um, without further ado, my number one delight in the universe, Nick, thank you for coming. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back on here. It's such a treat to be with you, my delight. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know how I haven't made you be my co-host by now. Just like sitting on the U-Turn podcast all day long with me. Um, Well, Well, I'm excited. And I feel like even just outside of a professional relationship, um, it's been beautiful to kind of watch and witness your different relationships and learn together um, and be able to kind of impart that wisdom onto listeners and clients. And so thank you for having me. I love you. Love you, Treat. And I feel like, by the way, those of you who haven't noticed, I call Nick my treat. (laughs) A bunch of little candy emojis (laughs) in my phone for her. Um, Okay. So you and I have had so many conversations about relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic. And I remember we were sitting at a coffee shop in New York 
and you talked about the qualities of a healthy partner. So I figured maybe we can just start with you kind of outlining generally what those three are, and then we can speak more in depth under each one. Um, I know the first quality you talk about is, well, we can just say the three is good to the world, good to their partner and good to themselves. So what does it mean to be good to the world, Nick? Yeah, I think, you know, there are a few sort of characteristics or qualities that sort of go under that category. The first one is being kind to strangers. So, um, you know, noticing in your partner, if you're dating someone and noticing also in yourself, um, are, you know, if, if we just came out of a pandemic, if you had COVID, were you hopping on a plane? Was your heart, was your partner hopping on a plane, even when they knew they might be sick or they might be, you know, uh, potentially getting other people sick if they're, if they're getting on a shared space with someone. Um, I think it's just like these basic things of thinking about others and being kind to strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is, you know, caring for the well-being of animals, caring about the well-being of, you know, nature and the world. And that can look like picking trash up off the beach, recycling, wanting to learn more about how to take care of the environment, um, things like that. It's like, are you being conscious, not just of yourself, of your partner, of strangers, but also just, you know, all living beings. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is having integrity. So falling through on something that you do, um, or that you say you're going to do. And I think this ha- kind of like has to go in conjunction with being kind to others because someone can have integrity and say, you know, they're going to do something that's kind of shitty and follow through on it. But to be a kind person, to be a generous person is, um, and to follow through on that is, is oftentimes a lot more difficult. Um, and the fourth one, as far as being good to the world is sort of being non-judgmental to others, being open-minded, being compassionate, sort of giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, wanting to understand others. I think that's also a really important quality when you think about you know, assessing someone that you might be dating or thinking about yourself, um, thinking about the world and thinking about people you don't necessarily know, but are obviously we're all connected to. You know, what's so interesting about this one, Nick, and we've spoken about this a lot is, um, obviously being good to the world alone, isn't enough for someone to be a great partner since we have so many different facets of this we're looking at. But I think what people miss is, not just, is this person good to the world, but is this person good to me? Right. Because how many times have you seen or heard someone recite who someone is as if it's a resume or a bunch, a list of how great the person is in the world. But then when I ask them, have they shown up for you? They're not, do they make you feel good? They're not. And so it's, it's interesting to kind of notice that sometimes we get so caught up on how people are perceived by the world and in the world that we forget how they show up for us, which is everything, um, as well. Yeah. I mean, I had a a very good friend for who, for a long time was very much attracted to that. She's like, I want to be with a mogul. I want to be with someone who is a philanthropist and a, you know, humanista, and they're just kind of out there and saving the world. And, it took her a long time to kind of release that and recognize that, no, actually what I really want is just someone, you know, that is important, but I also do want someone who's good to themselves and who's good to me. Um, There's a saying sometimes that I hear that 
Um, unfortunately, sometimes the people who come on who are very good in the public eye, who are very good to the world are not so good to their partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually horrible to live with or to share a life with, you know, behind closed doors. So yep. to look at each of these three areas that we're going to talk about today in isolation is not enough. And I do think that all three of them need to be there on some level in order for yeah. us to be in a healthy partnership. Yeah. And this kind of brings up the question that I get in my DMs is like, tell me about your love life, Ashley. Like, how are you doing? Do you have any advice for me? And it's like, I'm definitely no love expert over here. Although I've been in self-help for however many years, I will say if I've learned anything, it's that commitment is a skill. You have to know how to do it. And some people either haven't learned that skill or they're not willing to try on that skill and communicate about it and be in it and have the trial and error with it. Cause there's a lot of vulnerability in that as well. So I think, you know, yeah. really taking a look at yourself and who you're with and saying like, do, do we have these skills uh, to show up and to commit and to deliver and to do what we say we're going to do. And I love um, how this kind of segues Nick into your second piece about how they're not just good to the world and strangers and animals and people and, and all these things. Um, but also good to their partner. And I feel like this is infinite, all of the things that it can mean. Um, What do you think it means to be good to your partner as a second piece of the puzzle? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you, you know, one of them, you just hit the nail on the head, which is this idea of commitment. And you and I were just talking about, you know, physical commitment, emotional commitment, intellectual commitment, sexual commitment, spiritual commitment. And so, you know, physical commitment can look like, you know, physically making sure that you guys are in the same space. That's kind of how I interpreted it when we were talking about it before recording this podcast. And I'm curious to know if that's how you meant it as well. Yeah. But being in the same space, getting to really know each other, committing your physical body to being together. Sometimes people are doing long distance for ages and something about that might work for people. They need to not be in the same space all the time, but there is also a commitment to like, if two people really want to spend a life together and spend every day together, they do have to kind of see how it is to be in the same space together for an extended period of time. Yeah. It's so interesting, Nick. Like I just completely invested 36 hours of my life watching season four of 90 day fiance (laughs) before the 90 days. I literally, it, it was like a rabbit hole that I've never been in. And you've seen me go into reality television rabbit holes. This one consumed me. I couldn't think I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't sleep. Like all I did was watch 90 day fiance. And what I will say is the, uh, the layers of unavailability that these people were attracted to were so much like there, there was one guy who flew to the Ukraine, not one, not two, but five times for this woman who kept standing him up. She wasn't physically available, oh, wow. but when he went online on the online dating website that you pay by the minute to talk to people and she makes a profit, mm-hmm. she was very available. So the point being, sometimes we let ourselves get too hooked into one facet without looking at the whole picture. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the amount of depth and wisdom that I've achieved from 90 day fiancés is Nick, I highly recommend you, you and uh, your man watch that. It's really a love experiment. You guys would talk so much. I'm telling you. 
I have to check that out, but I must say, I, I feel like the, the amount of stories that I hear from clients or from friends of things that are going on in their lives, I don't need a 90 day fiance. <laughs> your, your whole business is 90 day fiance. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. No, but I think that's, that's true. It's like, sometimes you're very available for one type of commitment and you're not available for others. And and that's fine. I think if your partner is on the same page as you, yeah. um, I think it, I think where it becomes an issue is if you and your partner want different kinds of commitment. Yeah. You know? And I so think of like Hillary and Bill Clinton, not that I should be political here, but I kind of feel, think of them when I think like whatever commitment they have going on is like working for both of them in some way, you know? Yeah. yeah um, for sure. So wherever the gaps are, they have, they share the gaps, I guess. And that's what it's about. So, um, okay. So you talk about a good partner is giving to their partner. So giving with their resources, their time, thoughtful about the details. Yeah. Yeah, Just a lot of generosity, a lot of, you know, making sure that, um, they're offering their time, their attention, their resources in order to help their partner feel seen and special. Um, another one is affection. So, you know, knowing your partner's love language and giving it to them consistently, um, you know, conviction to be with them and letting them know I'm so in this, I'm so with you. I'm, um, I'm owning this relationship. You know, it's like you and I have talked about how sometimes there are situations where you might go out with someone and you clearly are in an exclusive committed relationship with them, but they're not owning that to the world. They're not sharing that. They're not showing you know, others that they treasure you, that they're indulging in you, that they're curious about you. Um, and I think that's a huge element in relationships to feel, uh, it's like, you can feel whatever you're feeling on the inside, but if you're not showing that affection, if you're not showing that love, it's the other person isn't going to be able to receive it. They're not going to feel it. They're not going to know. And that's going to create disconnection. Yeah. Um, I think this also comes up to the topic of worthiness, Nick, right? Because you can have someone that's good to their partner, but the other person has a small gas tank and they can't, they only can take so much love in. And then after the partner keeps giving them love, it's like their gas tank is full. They can't take in more. So there's like a limit to the depth of connection because a lot of the time someone hasn't done the work on their confidence or their self-esteem to be able to receive love. And then as a result, the relationship stays limited. Yes. I mean, you and I have talked about this too, right? It's like, Sometimes people, and I see this with my clients all the time, where they're in a relationship where they're giving and giving and giving, they don't have strong boundaries, and they're feeling so depleted. And then they go into the next relationship and they're like, this relationship is going to be all about me receiving. And it's like, I'm just going to take, 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 take. And then the other person ends up feeling resentful because they're giving so much. And it's this weird pendulum swing. And I think you and I have acknowledged before that part of being in a good relationship is, or a healthy relationship is this um, balance where both people are giving and receiving. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love the most about them is that their products are not only carbon neutral, but they taste amazing. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins possible in one swoop 
and I just couldn't bring myself to drink all those green vegetable smoothies that taste like the grass. So I wanted something that actually tastes good and was perfect for me. And I've been on Athletic Greens for a few weeks now and I am just loving it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. You know, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. And with one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. So this really special blend of ingredients is so supportive for your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, anti-aging, all the things. Right now, it is so time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition especially as we're in flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. I even throw mine in my smoothie. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash U-turn. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And they're giving one year of vitamin D that is so insane with your first order. I'm so excited for you to check it out. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Mm-hmm. It, and, 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 and I think balance is such an interesting thing too, right? Like in my relationships yeah. some and, and with you, I've seen also, it's like some years balance looks like 80% one person, 20% the other, and, and vice versa, mm-hmm. things move, life moves. Um, mm-hmm. It almost feels like we have that with masculine and feminine energy where we talk about like balancing. Um, sometimes we're like 85% in our masculine energy. Other times we're 85% in our feminine energy. Um, you know, yeah, it's going to move, you yeah. know, it's, and it can't be this concept of tit for tat, like, Oh, I'm giving to you in this way. So you have to give back to me in the same exact way. Um, I see this in my practice as well. Sometimes people are coming in and they're especially women. And they're like, I want someone who's financially able to provide and being their masculine. Um, does that mean that I have to provide financially as well? Do I have to be this hustler? Do I have to make all this money in order to be worthy of someone who is, you know, um, able or wanting to financially give to me? And the answer is no, there are different ways that we give in relationships. This goes back to what you're saying, like the feminine and masculine ways of giving and receiving. It's very different. Um, and so it's really more just about what is, how do you want to receive and how does your, what does your partner want to receive? And are you willing to give that to them? Are they willing to give that to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting to also use the word willing to like what sometimes people get stuck in is the word can't, they cannot. And sometimes it's the case, right? Mm-hmm. Like the person just doesn't have the bandwidth capacity experience skill to give something or other to someone. But a lot of the times it's a choice. Somebody is choosing not to. And just because you're choosing to give something or do something, you can't hold it against someone who is neutrally looking at themselves and making a choice of they want to give you something or not from themselves, whether it's something emotional, spiritual, sexual, who even knows. So, um, 
I think a lot of the times I see people get hooked onto relationships that are not a fit for them when they keep knowing in their bones, like this person could give me this thing without really tuning into what they're choosing not to. And I've asked for it, you know, and, and you have to make decisions from that. Yeah, I do also, I do also think that there are like certain people at certain phases of their life, they just are kind of in a vortex where they, they can't, they don't know how to give. I do think that's a real thing. It's like, they're not, um, and it's not like, I'm not ready. Like I'm not willing. It's literally like I, everything in my body constricts at the thought of doing this thing. And it's, and I, it's to the point where it's paralyzing and I can't seem to get past it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that might be trauma. And so it's important to kind of look at, you know, what is that thing that's holding you back? And through, you know, I I do EMDR in my practice, it's a sort of trauma therapy. It's like, how do we release this trauma from your body so that you're able to step into commitment or able to step into a healthy partnership? Yeah, I love this. And I know you also talk a lot about some studies um, or you have some notes on those. Can you talk, talk a little bit about the research side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think part of why I wanted to do this episode with you was because I was looking online at different um, articles about, you know, what are, what are people finding to be a healthy partnership? It's not a question so much of like, is this person for me specifically, but just in general, what across, you know, all these different relationships, all these different clients that might be coming into my practice, what are those, the things that keep coming up over and over again? And when I looked at the articles online as well, what I was finding was, you know, there were articles that were like 10, you know, 10 things you need for a healthy relationship or 20 signs that person is for you. And what kept coming up again and again were three qualities. It was trust, Mm -hmm. good communication, and the ability to navigate conflict. Um, And these are sort of like all top signs of what it is to be a good partner. And I think today, part of what I wanted to do with you was to kind of go more in depth on some of these things. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one of the things, if you're cool with it, we can kind of segue back into, so what is, what does it look like to be good to your partner? Um, it, it is this element of also sort of support. It's like, um, being able to, you know, knowing what is going to feel supportive for your partner is important. Um, there are these sort of, uh, you know, overarching things that every partnership has, but it's also about looking at your partner's specific needs. So support for one person might look like, you know, give me space when I ask for it. For somebody else, it might be like, give me advice, come closer to me, come, you know, I need you physically with me right now or emotionally to just hold the space for me right now. Um, And it really kind of depends on each person. I think um, another thing is support might sometimes look like, someone who's, you know, helping you actualize your dreams, someone who is um, not sort of going into codependency with you and making you feel like you have to take care of them and be with them all the time and that you're responsible for their emotions in order for them to be okay. Hmm. Um, um, Another one is accountability. So another sign of a healthy partnership is, or a healthy partner is someone who takes accountability. They take responsibility uh, when they've done something wrong or something hurtful, um, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Mm-hmm. And 
I want to kind of talk about this a little bit more. I see sometimes in my practice, people coming in and, uh, you know, I know narcissism is so overused and, um, it's like a word that's just being thrown around left and right. Like, Oh, my partner was a narcissist and that's why this didn't work out. But I think what's underlying that typically that's coming up more, and this is true across the board for all personality disorders is someone who doesn't know how to take responsibility or can't take responsibility or accountability for what their actions. And what I tell people is like, if you are in a relationship with someone who has a personality disorder, your relationship is not going to work unless they're really doing the work on themselves Mm -hmm. because the, the sort of, uh, main theme across all personality disorders is someone who doesn't take accountability for their actions. And if your partner isn't taking accountability for their actions, you're going to have resentment. If all of these things that you're needing from them, they either don't want to do, or they're not even acknowledging that they're doing. Yeah. Um, Damn. You so know, it's this thing that brings in sort of sometimes gaslighting or, um, things being kind that? of just running gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah, I think gaslighting is um, when you let somebody know like, hey, you did this. It made me feel X or Y. And they're like, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of denial of um, uh, sort of uh, Invalidation. taking responsibility for their part. And it, it's in, a, in its more extreme forms, it can make uh, your partner feel like uh, they're crazy. It's disorienting. It makes them question and uh, sort of have trouble trusting themselves. Um, so it's hard for them to feel based in any kind of reality because they may clearly remember that something happened a certain way. But if your partner is saying, no, that never happened, that's not what happened at all. Um, and this is not about intentions. This is about facts. Yeah. Uh, it, it can make someone really feel like they're losing their minds. Yeah. Um, it's a very dangerous place to be because then if you don't know what's true or false, it's hard to make any decisions. I mean, we can see this even, uh, not to get political, but this idea of fake news, it's like, what do we know how to trust or not trust? And, you know, um, it's the same thing of like, I don't even know. A lot of people are kind of going through this right now of like, what sort of media can I trust? What news platform can I trust? And, and it's disorienting. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't allow us to make educated uh, decisions all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's also interesting. Um, you know, you, you talk a lot about gaslighting. Like I remember being in an unhealthy relationship years ago. And I mean, if I was wearing a red sweatshirt and the person told me it was blue, like that's kind of mm-hmm. gaslighting, right? Like you start to wonder, like, is it blue? Do I have bad eyes? Like that's gaslighting. Um, well, and so, you know, kind of looking at these qualities, um, and obviously Nick, I have to bring it back to 90 day again, because out of the five (laughs) or six couples I was watching, um, and you, those of you who choose to go on this endeavor, I'm telling you, um, there were, two, I think out of six, where I genuinely diagnosed them myself, watching them with the inability to fight. And they were too far away from each other in their styles of communication. Or there was one person that was just so wildly problematic with how they were approaching communication that I looked at the situation and just thought like, this is never going to work. They're too far apart. Um, and so I think it's underestimated how much being able to fight 
is essential for a relationship. Cause you can, I saw a lot of relationships that were really fun looking and beautiful, but then when there's a problem, it was a complete damaging assassination explosion trauma. Like I'd never Mm -hmm. seen before. So I feel like really taking a look, not only at what qualities do I have with my partner, or if you're out there dating, what qualities am I seeking? And before you really like count your little chickies before they hatch, I feel like I'm making so many egg jokes ever <laughs> since I froze my eggs last week. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> but, um, I would check and see how you fight and um, self-reflect and ask yourself, where can I do a better job communicating and taking responsibility? Because it is pretty toxic, I think, to be in a relationship with someone who cannot take responsibility for themselves and who ends up victimized. It turns into you apologizing for things you didn't do. It turns into codependency, smallness, low self-esteem, more fighting. I mean, it's really an incredible cocktail. Yeah. And I think you're hitting on, you know, that sort of fifth quality and what does it mean to be good to your partner is being able to sort of skillfully communicate and honestly communicate. Um, and these can sometimes be two very different things. Um, you know, sometimes someone might say like, you know, I'm going to be radically honest and I'm just going to say whatever is on my mind. And um, that's me being an honest communicator, but that can sometimes come off as really hurtful and, uh, aggressive, abrasive, um, and can create more, you know, sort of damage than healing. And so I do think it's important to have the skills to be able to communicate effectively. And part of that is about starting with your own self-awareness of how your stuff, your issues are in conflict with your partner's issues. Um, So one of the things that I like to do with my clients in my practice is help them understand their conflict cycle. What is it that they're each doing? What is it that they're triggering in one another? And how does that sort of create this dovetailing of your stuff is interacting with my stuff and we're having an argument um, between our stuff and not even ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, can you explain uh, that a little more, Nick? Like, cause I think that's really interesting and people yeah. really don't catch it on first pass. Like when you say your stuff, my stuff, what do you, what do you mean there and how it's yeah. having an argument with each other? Yeah. So, you know, if I'll take you and I, let's say that you and I, and this ha- can happen between friends. It can happen between yeah. parents, it can happen partners. Um, you know, you and I are in a relationship, but mm-hmm. your stuff is also in a relationship with my stuff. I mean, sometimes so, I wonder, Nick, if we're in a relationship, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> um, so that, you know, it's like, um, my stuff might be like, um, wanting to feel unconditionally loved mm-hmm. and accepted and your stuff. I think we've talked about this before might be about around like making sure that the work or the way that you commit to whatever you're committing to in your life, you have this expectation of wanting it to be a plus, as you say. And sometimes it's, you feel like it's showing up only as an a minus. Mm-hmm. This is like something yeah. we talked about. And it's like, how do, how does, um, our stuff interact with each other? How does my, yeah, it's totally accepted playing out with your stuff around like needing to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And how how does that play out? How does that look like it might turn into an argument between us or a fight between us? Mm -hmm. And so having the self-awareness of knowing like, okay, I know I have this thing where I want to be unconditionally invited and accepted and loved. And knowing that, you know, Ashley has this thing where she wants to feel like whatever she's putting out in the world is an A plus and not an A minus. 
how do we kind of meet each other's needs? And so, you know, you're very much the kind of person who understands like Nick needs an invitation. So I'm going to make sure I invite her because she's not always going to be the kind of person to reach out and say something. So I'm going to be the initiator. And for me, it's about making sure that I'm giving you praise and helping you see when you've done something really amazing. Cause you might be a little bit harder on yourself and say it's an A minus instead of an A plus. Right. You know, right. It's like how are we kind of like creating love and support for each other in the places that feel sensitive to us sometimes. What you're really sharing in my opinion is a, a roadmap to earning secure attachment with someone. Um, yeah. right. Like I know Alyssa Nobriga who has been on the show is a good friend. You're a good, you know, obviously you're a eunuch for me. It's, I look at the closest people to me in my life and I know what their shit is. I know what their stuff is. I know that Nick, you have like your unconditionally loved thing. Um, you know, so you've been through a few things where you, you need me to like layer it on a little thicker, for example. <laughs> 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 and then I know that like Alyssa was bullied when she was in elementary school. So she has stuff with that. So it's like when you, there's such a fine line between being codependent and contouring yourself to accommodate someone, abandoning yourself to please and accommodate and be safe for someone versus holding on to their perceived shortcomings or pains in a way where you can better navigate them through your communication. When you learn like this person has this thing, so can I get ahead of it? For example, I remember like 10 years ago, I had a boyfriend where we were like decorating our apartment and we would go to the farmer's market and we would always have a tiff in the farmer's or the flea market. Do you remember this, Nick, in my life? And and because he'd always want to buy one thing and I'd always want to get the other and we were decorating our place. And I just remember thinking like life is so much better when you talk about shit before you go into the flea market, you know, like if life is a <laughs> flea market, like talk about it before walking in. So I remember yeah. I eventually got kind of hip to this pattern and, you know, before we would go to the flea market, I'd be like, all right, we're going to the flea market. I see that on Sunday in the distance. Let's talk about how this is going to go. I know that you tend to have this and I tend to have that. So how can we navigate this? So I think it's really a super tool to earn a secure attachment with somebody versus, you know, walk into the flea market and let it go nuts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Love that. Is there anything? Okay. So we've talked about two out of the three qualities of a healthy partner, good to the world, good to their partner, and we're going to get into good to themselves. Is there anything else you have to say around good to the partner? Because there's, I see that you, you know, talk about being really giving and generous, being affectionate, being supportive, having accountability, um, personal responsibility, being willing to grow, um, commitment, having that skill. We talked about that. Maybe somebody's emotionally available, but they're not physically available. They're always jet setting. Maybe they're mm-hmm. physically available. They can spend all their time with you, but emotionally, they're not going to meet okay. you where you are. So exactly. important to look at that. Um, I think the sexual one is very interesting, Nick. I think a lot of people, if they have trauma, they haven't worked out, maybe they're not sexually available and there's a disconnect in the intimacy. Um, yeah. Anything else, Nick? I'm just talking your ear off. Sorry. Does the hustle and grind of your work life leave you feeling a little bit stressed out? Well, if you're not careful, that stress can start to take such a toll on your body. It can raise your blood pressure, make it really hard to sleep, and it can drain you of vital energy that ends up making you a little more irritable. That's why I can't recommend magnesium daily enough. 
about 75% of people are magnesium deficient. That number might be higher among business owners and C-level professionals. That's because stress depletes magnesium levels and may trigger that vicious cycle of rising stress and severe magnesium deficiency. Now, you might be wondering, does magnesium really affect all these things? And the answer is yes. In fact, magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside of your body. So a lot of different things can start to go wrong if you're deficient. That's why I wanna recommend the Magnesium Breakthrough product by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and your energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. So right now, if you head on over to magbreakthrough.com slash U-turn and you use the code U-turn at checkout, you will save 10% and get free shipping on your next order. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H magbreakthrough.com slash Y-O-U T-U-R-N and use the code U-turn at checkout. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, no. And I think sometimes sexually, you know, committed is it's going to look different for everyone. So again, like it's just more about making sure that you and your partner are um, wanting the same things sexually. So, you know, you can be sexually committed to someone and be in an open relationship as long as your partner is also open to being in an open relationship and you guys have set, you know, clear rules or sort of guidelines around what that's going to look like. Um, and you're making sure that you're, that this open relationship is not coming from a place of trauma, but it's coming from a genuine true place of like what it, what is fulfilling for you. And what do you um, so mean when you say, sorry to catch you, Nick, what do you mean when you say coming from a place of trauma? Cause I feel like people might not understand that. Yeah. I think sometimes being, um, in an open relationship, it's like, that's something that is desired because it's a way to avoid um, intimacy. It's a way to avoid vulnerability because you were hurt in the past and you don't fully want to put all of your eggs in one basket again. So you tell yourself like, Oh, you know, it might be fun to be in an open relationship that way. I don't have to, uh, do this vulnerable thing of being with just one person, because if I give my heart to one person, I might lose them or I'm going to lose them. And that's the trauma. It's like those negative beliefs that keep us in fear. You know, how do we look at that um, instead of putting our eggs in a bunch of baskets, for lack of a better metaphor? Yeah, exactly. Um, And okay, so speaking of being good to themselves, like a good partner isn't just good to you or to the world, they're good to themselves. You and I have Mm -hmm. talked about this so much because there's so many kind, loving people out there who aren't kind and loving to themselves. So they're coming from this empty cup, pouring out whatever drops are left. And then when they're with themselves, they're miserable and and it's like your status and they're really sad. And, um, and it's, and as a partner, you have to navigate that. So talk to me about like, how does someone endeavor to be good to themselves and what does it look like? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the first sort of area or quality to that is someone who's growth oriented, someone who's willing to work on themselves. And that might be, um, looking into, you know, working with the therapist, working with the coach, um, you know, 
even if you, if it's not about hiring someone listening to this podcast, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, little ways that they can, uh, just learn, learn how to develop themselves, learn how to be a better version of themselves. Um, and sometimes that's not necessarily about mental health. That might be about, Hey, I want to, you know, grow in the sense of like, I want to do, you know, uh, one hike or like three hikes a week. Mm -hmm. And just be in nature more and develop my body more and um, develop my connection to nature more. That's something that feels like that's going to be good for me. Um, You know, I want to go surfing in the mornings. I want to take this pottery class or I want to I want to go back to school. Like these are all ways that we can grow. And I think it's important to um, be sort of like developing ourselves and be giving to ourselves in that way. Best investment you can make is in yourself. Right. So, um, I think this is a really important one. Um, I think the next one is self-care. So it's a little bit different than growth. This is about sort of, um, like being able to, as you know, um, know that if there's a day where you're feeling like today, I need to do nothing mm-hmm. today. I need to, uh, you know, just have like a, a spa day with myself in my, um, in my home and just like not be introverted or be extroverted or call this friend is, you know, I need to talk some through something. It's about making sure that, um, you're taking care of yourself. It's like, you know, you look at your space, you look at your apartment or your house. Is it a mess? Is it clean? Is it, these are, this is, these are extensions of you. These are expressions of you. This is our, these are expressions of your self-care. So it's like, how are you being generous to yourself? So one of the things we talked about in being a good partner is being generous to your partner, but this is also, this is about how do you receive? How do you give to yourself? Um, I know you've had Margaret Paul on your podcast, um, episode about inner bonding. And I would really say this is about that. It's about checking in with yourself, asking yourself, what is it that I'm needing right now? Um, Mm -hmm. what emotions are coming up right now and how do I act on that? How do I take action in giving myself the things that I'm needing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, isn't it amazing how much we can just pour out to others And when it comes to ourselves, it's like so challenging. Um, Where do you think that comes from, Nick? Like, why is it so hard for us, so many of us to be generous with ourselves? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think sometimes it's about not feeling like we are worthy of that. Um, Sometimes, you know, we think that we don't deserve to give to ourselves. We don't deserve to have the things that we want. Sometimes it's that we didn't have a parent who showed us how. So we have to learn how to parent ourselves. Um, you know, we didn't grow up in a home where our parents were there for us, or, um, sometimes it's even about looking at your parents and it's like, did they, were they also just outpouring to everybody else Mm -hmm. and never showed you how a parent takes care of themselves, how a person takes care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, it's about, your parents were either overgiving or they were too focused on themselves and they didn't know how to give to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, it's about love addiction. You know, it's about, we're not giving to ourselves because we think that we'll get everything we want if we just give to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or it's too scary. It's an issue with like a happiness threshold. We don't, um, 
we don't want to experience that level of pleasure or that level of what that sweet solitude of like taking care of ourselves. It's, it's too much to handle. So we prefer to just give it to others. Yeah. And live in this place of, you know, my gas tank is almost empty. I can't tell you how many people I have. And this is such a, a big concept I talk about in my practice of like, if you're sort of uh, mental health was, if I was able to see that as like a gas tank, you know, where are you on that? And a lot of people will say, I'm at zero, I'm at 25%, I'm at, you know, 30%. And it's like, and that's their comfort zone with yeah. self-care. It's like, okay, how would you feel about if your gas tank was at 80%? How would you feel if your gas tank was at hundred percent? And it's like, no, there's a level of chaos, um, mm-hmm. that I'm comfortable with at 5%. And anything more than that feels unfamiliar. It feels new. It feels weird. And I'm not ready to experience that or feel that, or I'm not open to that. So what I suggest for people who are wanting to kind of increase their threshold for happiness is, can you just for this week, allow yourself to, you know, be, have sort of 5% more fullness in your gas tank, just 5%. And what would it take to do that then? Nick, how yeah. how good do you feel like I am at self care? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're the one always teaching me about self care treat. <laughs> yeah. uh, how many so times a week am I like? Sometimes we can overindulge in ways that are also addictive, you know, and right. we can call that self care. And so it's like how how do we um, sort of ask ourselves, you know, it's, it's, it's like, what do we really need? Sometimes the answer is not eating that, you know, extra dessert or, um, buying, you know, that outfit that is out of our budget or price range. It's more just like, you know, um, looking at our budget and creating something that it's like paying off our debts. Sometimes that's self-care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes it's about, um, you know, recognizing that you're allergic to gluten and cutting that out of your diet. That's self-care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're sharing. And I, I love that. I was, t- we were just talking about how good I am at self-care, but the very real truth, which is that I can overindulge. And I think a lot of people have misunderstood self-care as escapism. It's like, is it really self-care to go broke buying purses and, you know, make your, have a stomach ache buying too many pieces of pizza? Is that self a self-care day or is that a escapist day? You know, we need to get exactly. really honest. Um, exactly. And, and even that is like a, a very, um, sensitive art of like knowing when to distract yourself, because sometimes we do need distractions and knowing when you're overindulging. So for people who are coming into my practice who are dealing with grief, um, I do talk to them a lot about the importance of distraction and there's healthy distraction and unhealthy distraction. Um, so because we can't focus on our grief all the time, it's too heavy. It's, 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 um, just too much on the body. We have to be able to kind of pull away from the grief, distract ourselves and then come back and revisit it. And it'll give us a new perspective sometimes. So talking about what is healthy distraction versus unhealthy distraction is also very important. Yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more, Nick. Um, okay. So you know, I know you've really thought a lot about being good to yourself. And a lot of that has to do not just with self-care and growth, but with boundaries. Um, and I've seen you in your process with boundaries, especially from the cultural lens that you come from, which I know I like poke plenty of fun at you. Um, (laughs) 
But I mean, talk a little bit about boundaries and what does that mean for being good to themselves? Because I think sometimes people, especially from a partner, they take a boundary and see it as a negative thing versus really kind of allowing themselves to see how important it is that and an awareness that everybody does have boundaries, whether they're stating them or not. And if you don't honor someone's boundaries in exchange, you will get resentment at some point, which is even more toxic. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to, that's such a good point. And the reason why I wanted to talk about the importance of this, you know, boundaries is that Part of being a, a healthy partner is someone who is good to themselves. And um, in order to be good to yourself, you kind of have to know yourself and you have to be in touch with uh, your emotional needs. And one way to express that and to bring expression to those emotional needs is boundaries. So someone who has good boundaries with themselves is someone who kind of follows through on promises that they are making to themselves. Um, so like we, you know, we mentioned, it's like, if, you know, um, eating gluten or eating, you know, um, dairy is something that is going to give you and your body an allergic reaction, it's going to make you feel sick. Then a boundary you can set with yourself is, Hey, I'm not going to eat these things and following through on that. That's a good boundary you can set with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, another element of knowing yourself is having good boundaries with others. So not sort of allowing others to, uh, step all over you, um, you know, making sure that you're not trying to take care of others out of guilt or shame or unconscious toxic patterns. Um, another part of this is also, you know, how you communicate those boundaries. I know you and I have noticed with me, like there was a point where I really had difficulty setting boundaries and I was being sort of stepped on and that did lead to a lot of resentment. And then I was like, okay, like boundaries are it. This is the key to life. So I'm going to be super strong and super aggressive about my boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this sort of like pendulum swing and it's like, how do you set healthy boundaries with yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, and then how do you talk to others? So sometimes I see people set boundaries with themselves where it's like, um, you know, it's like, you know, they're learning that this type of food doesn't make them feel good. So they'll say like, gosh, you're such a, you know, such an idiot. Why did you eat that? You're so stupid. It's like, is that really necessary? Like, do you really have to to call yourself these names in order to set healthy boundaries with yourselves? And the same thing goes for others. It's like, sometimes, you know, the boundaries that I initially was kind of, when I was setting them with you was like really aggressive and, um, almost kind of like, it kind of was like jarring for you. So it was about like, how do I say things in a way that is skillful? Again, it comes back to skillful communication and, um, you know, how do you communicate your boundaries in a way that feels good? And so I think you've also kind of struggled with this ash sometimes where you talk about like, mm-hmm. um, someone does something that you don't like and you're like, okay, I'm out. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go. yeah no, thank you. Yeah. In, okay. Well, yeah. I think that this comes back to a really good point around boundaries, which is to notice when you're a little too rigid, because as you were just giving feedback, it's like in order for you to self-preserve. And once you discovered the beauty of boundaries, you were like, I'm going to go nuts with these things. And then there was rigidity and the rigidity is a wound as well. Whenever people are being super rigid with you, they're trying to self-preserve. And that's usually there's a story behind that. So I would even ask yourself, if you're listening to this show now, where are you being rigid? Um, Because I think that the places that you are rigid um, are usually the places where 
you might have mm-hmm. something to look at. There might be some sort of wound in there. Um, and I have to say, I remember there was um, one time where I was, you know, really struggling. I was telling you, like, I am having a hard time navigating when to set boundaries and when not to. And you gave me a, a wonderful tip. And you were kind of mentioning that um, there are two things that you should consider when you're setting boundaries is like, um, you know, is, is the person that you're setting is the person that you're setting the boundaries with and it's the occasion. So I might've called you and said like, Hey, you know, um, my very good friend is getting married, but I really am having a hard time showing up to these occasions. And you were like, okay, well, how important is this person to you? And what's the occasion? If it's a wedding, it's kind of like this once in a lifetime thing. So maybe this is something you want to consider finding like a way to go, but still take care of yourself while you're there. Um, you know, but if it's someone that you don't really care about and it's, and it's an occasion that is kind of, will happen many, many times throughout life, then maybe it's something that you do kind of take a little bit extra care of yourself. If you don't feel like going and if it doesn't feel like energetically, you're going to be able to show up the way that you want to. I love that, Nick. And I love that you always remind me of content bullet points that I don't even remember that I have. (laughs) You're sharing this wisdom and I'm like, wow, I said that that's a great idea. I know that happens to me too. I'm like, damn, that came out of my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, killing it, Nick. (laughs) Okay. One of my favorite things that we've talked about when it comes to someone who is good with themselves that I don't typically hear people talk about as a real point is around someone's relationship with their own darkness and their own light. I feel like the darkest um, people who I know have had the darkest stories have the lightest hearts in a lot of ways. And so I'm curious just to kind of get your take on what is it about being in touch with your dark and your light? Um, what does that really even mean? Cause it sounds kind of poetic really, um, yeah. as it relates to being good to yourself. Yeah. I think the way that I was kind of defining darkness in this is someone who, um, isn't afraid of looking at their negative emotions and experiences, or they're able to kind of look at their traumas or their griefs, or quite frankly, just their depth without judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean by someone who's in touch with their darkness. There's a lot right now, you know, this, um, in sort of like pop psychology, this concept of toxic positivity mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's like people are in, are constantly trying to force happiness onto others and, Oh, but look at the silver lining or no, it's not that bad. And, you know, it looks like denial sometimes of things that are very real. And so it's, I think it takes courage to be able to be like, Oh yeah, this is a thing I'm going through something, or I've been through this thing that was really painful mm-hmm. and, um, to own it, you know, and to be able to sit with it. Um, I don't mean that you have to indulge in it, but just having the awareness that it's there, having an understanding of how it might be still affecting you and um, being comfortable with grief because loss is a part of life, you know? Um, and it's, it's hard for, it's hard for us to conceptualize loss. It's loss is one of those things that the human mind doesn't know how to process it processes gain. And mm-hmm. so, it's, you know, loss can be a very tricky thing to sit with grief is, is the definition of grief is mixed feelings about loss. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's confusing. And for someone to be able to, to sit with that, with patience, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of clarity. I think there's a lot of wisdom. I think there's a lot of, um, lessons that can come out of that, that can really serve us 
um, in our futures and, or not. And that's fine too. But can you just be with that? Right. And, um, I think for lightness, lightness is, you know, someone's capacity to be able to hold, you know, laughter, joy, high vibes. It's, it's being able to have both. So if you're with someone who's always kind of, um, struggling with, you know, depression and darkness and sitting with, you know, negativity, uh, that's going to have an impact on your relationship. Yeah. You know, that's when that might bring down your partner that might feel, um, uninspiring or deflating. And so it's important to have a healthy balance of also being able to enjoy life, being able to yeah. laugh and connect and love. And, um, I think, having, having both is very important when you're looking at someone who is able to be good to themselves. It's like, how can I allow myself to have both? Yeah. You know what this makes me think about, Nick? I don't know if you remember, I had a friend in town from DC, um, when my friend from London that I was in grad school with passed away, you know, the Colombian girl, Marcella, who I studied with. And I remember the friend I had that was in town. When I got the news that Marcella passed away, I looked at her and said, Oh my gosh, my study buddy in London just died like in a freak accident. And she was like, okay, well, what do you want to do today? And she kind of, it wasn't coming from a place of how can I help you? It was coming from a place of like onward and upward, like, let's not talk about this. And so it's not only damaging to yourself when you're not good with your darkness, but it's damaging to others because Mm -hmm. She couldn't show up for me. Like clearly she hadn't learned how to be with herself when she gets bad news. How am I supposed to yeah. expect her to be with me when I get bad news? That's so such a good point. Like this being able to be with your own darkness sometimes allows you to be able to hold other people's darkness, especially your partner. So if you're spending, you know, 50, 60 years with someone, that's a long time. Shit's gonna happen. It's like, yeah. how are you holding how are you holding each other when things are going? tough or challenging, you know, how are you showing up for yeah. one another? How can you hold space for their emotions? Yeah. yeah. Last thing you need is somebody to be like, turn that frown upside down. I'd get a big fucking frown. Okay. And then I also love you talking about receiving when it comes to being good to yourself and to others. So what does it look like to really receive? I know there's so many layers to it really. Yeah. Um, so I think one layer of it is the ability to sort of receive from yourself. So being able to give and receive, um, like to yourself. And that's some of the things that we've already talked about in this area. It's like how you are taking care of your, you know, your physical health, your mental health, um, your spiritual health. And then there's also sort of being able to receive from others, being able to receive from, um, your partner, being able to receive from your work and, Mm -hmm. um, all of these things kind of affect each other. And ultimately, hopefully you're with someone who, uh, like I said, enjoys giving. So when you aren't able to receive, you kind of deprive your partner of that. You deprive them of the opportunity to give to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, that's, that's kind of where love happens. It's yeah. sort of giving and taking with one another. So I think it's important to be able to know how to not just give, but also be able to receive. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's a manipulation to giving where sometimes we give so much in hopes that we get something back and we're, or sometimes we give so much that we actually have an agenda behind it that we're not paying attention to. So it's, it's good to look at all this. Okay. So some additional questions, what about when these categories are in conflict with each other? So tell me a little bit about 
what does it mean if somebody's ability to be good to the world is conflicting with their ability to be a good partner? Like how do we balance yeah. all of these? Yeah, I think, um, and I'd love, you know, I know you talk a lot about intuition as well, but I think for, I'll give an example. Uh, let's say that one way that your partner is sort of needing you to show up for them is to give them your time. And let's say in that moment, what you're actually really needing is space. You're needing some time for yourself, not for the partnership. And so these two things then become in conflict, right? It's like, do I give to my partner or do I give to myself? And um, I think that is going to be sort of a case by case situation. And that's going to require someone to be able to sort of uh, check in with their intuitive nudges um, you know, checking in with this little voice inside of us that's constantly talking to us. It's, it's you know, sort of this little whisper. It's a very quiet voice. It's a very calm voice. Um, it's different than anxiety. It's different than fear. Intuition is is just sort of like, uh, it's sort of just like this channel of consciousness. I think fear can be very much in the mind. It can be very much about um uh, it can sound very aggressive. It can sound like, Oh my God, don't do this. Or it's kind of freaking out. Yeah. Um, I think intuition is a little bit more of the heart. It's this sort of a uh, warm feeling of like, this is what's good for you. This is what's not good for you. Yeah. And just kind of link to that. Yeah. Um, this might be what's best for this situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's up to you as a listener to decide case by case, what is, what is going to be the best in each situation for yourself and for your partnership. Love this, Nick. And I guess the final question that I can ask you on my own behalf is what do you think I've learned about dating? Cause everybody's asking me and it feels really <laughs> I feel like I've learned that commitment is a skill and don't choose someone that doesn't have the skill. Cause I have the skill. What's the next thought? Help me, Nick. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think what I'm noticing you are learning is the importance of yes, being with someone who is committed to you um, and the power of that emotional availability and being able to receive that, but also being able to look at your partner um, outside of how they look at you and just see them as a person Mm -hmm. and ask yourself, like, do I, revere this person? Do I respect this person? Do I feel, um, do I feel like I can be with this person and, and I can be who I want to be with this person Yeah. outside of how they treat me? It's both. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I would love to hear what all of you thought about this episode, what you want us to talk more about. I get questions from you all the time in my DMS and I really want to answer them on podcasts. So Come on back over. Let us know. Um, Nick is on Instagram at therapy by Nicole. Um, also you can head to her website. It's NicoleNowPavar.com, right? Nick. Yep. Okay. So it's N I C O L E N O W P A R V A R.com. And, um, feel free to message her. She does one-on-ones. She does groups and she's so good at it. Um, thanks again for listening to the show and thanks for being here, Nick. I love you. Love you. Thank you, Ash. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. 
Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week.